I started and where I ended, say, on any of those lines, but like on that line right there, I couldn't tell you. Um, At that point, I didn't really care. I was focused on where I was going, period. And so as a result of that, I missed an incredible amount of America and Canada and all the beauty that God has put before us in these different routes. I missed it all. And what I have found, uh, God revealed to me just in April just how insidious that is in my life. Gary brought it up a while back. He he made a reference to living the dash, and I'll talk about that a little more. I am not good at living the dash. I am good for living the dots along the way to to my points that I'm heading. I don't really appreciate what's happening in the middle. That, that can really show up in some weird places for me. Like uh, I was down in Phoenix visiting our daughter who's in the Air Force uh, back in April. And three days before it's time to leave, all of a sudden I'm thinking about what am I going to do when I get back to Ephrata, right? And that's where God showed me that because I'm like, oh, man, I got to do this and I got to do this. And, oh, man, these big cities. Oh, God. And all of a sudden God was like, you have three days left with your daughter that you haven't seen in forever who's getting ready to go to Korea at the end of next month for a year. Maybe you ought to enjoy the time that you have with her. Uh, Another way it can show up for me literally almost every week, unless I think about it, halfway through Gary's message, when I sense that he's on the downhill, going to wrap it up, I start thinking about, okay, what song is it we're going to do when I get back up there? How fast is it going to go? How, you know, um, I have to stop that. And so I'm going to take you on a little journey on what I think God is showing me on how to stop that, all right? Uh, But first, uh, as I was going through this, there's actually a poem. I had no idea. There's actually a poem that a woman named Linda Ellis wrote called The Dash. And um, she wrote this, and, you know, she says, We make note of the year that the person was born and the year they died, which really says nothing, when it's far more important about what's in between those dates, which is The Dash which represent the years of that person's life. The poem reads, I read of a man who stood to speak at a funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that they spent alive on earth. And now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live in love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? 
pretty well said, not biblical, but I think she makes a pretty strong point. Surely does for me. Mark Twain said that uh, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. (laughs) Right? So we're talking about purpose. And so I believe that we can only truly live this dash as followers of Christ as we truly understand our purpose and regardless of the distractions that we run into, we continually bring ourselves back to the purpose that we have as followers of Christ on this earth. So I want to take just a second, because I always start kind of with a question to challenge you. So here's two questions. Don't need the church answer. I just want you to be honest with yourself. So over the last three months, what would your, indi- your activity indicate your purpose to be? If someone was to observe you over the last 90 days, whatever, what would they say your purpose was? Just take a minute and think about what those words are that come to your head. So then the next one you see up there, what are the first words that come to mind if you think about your legacy? 55, I'm kind of getting to that point now where I'm really looking at what have I invested in my life and, you know, what do I want to be remembered for? What's your legacy? So today... I really hope that I kind of help clarify this purpose um, of our lives as followers of Jesus to help us really more effectively and joyfully live this dash that we are presently in in our lives. And I'm, I'm going to give five purposes that I think God has given generically to all followers of Christ. And I think, you know, we each have a very specific purpose that he's given us. But these are five that I think are general to all of us. That if, even if I could just keep those five straight, I think I'd probably be uh, doing okay. So the first one is, you know, we have been planned for God's pleasure. God made you to enjoy you. If you look at Revelation 4.11, God says, or uh, it's Revelation says, You, God, created everything, and it is for your pleasure that they exist and that they were created. And in Matthew 22, the great commandment says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. There's a word for expressing love to God, and Wes kind of touched on it. He just talked about it, and that is our worship. Our worship is expressing our love to God, and worship is living a life pleasing to God. So, the first purpose is worshiping God. Those are supposed to come up one at a time. All right. Well, don't jump ahead on me, okay? Um, Number two, you've been formed for God's family. Um, You know, church hopping is miserable. I hate it. Uh, Church shopping. When we moved here, it was really difficult for me to find a church because it's not just important about what church we attend Far more important, it's which church has God called you to? And sometimes at first, those two don't seem to be the same when you show up and you I really like this place. Uh, We looked around a few places. We really liked them, but it was not where God called us to be. This was where God called us to be. Ephesians 1.5 says, 
this unchanging plan, his unchanging plan, has always been to adopt us into his own family. We are to be belongers, not just believers. And so actually, uh, in the New Testament, 58 times the word one another is used, right? It's telling us to love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, exhort one another, encourage one another, greet one another, and so on. God wants you to care for other people, and that's called fellowship, which is the second bullet I have up on that line. Number three, you were created to be like Christ. I'm going to call that discipleship. Uh, God made you to transform you into a likeness of his son, Jesus. The Bible says in Romans 8, 29, from the very beginning that those who came to him and all along he knows who would should become like his son so that his son would be the first of many brothers. See, God is far more interested in what we are, more so than what we do. And especially in America, that's pretty hard for us to to get our hands around. We're far more performance-oriented. We identify with what we do in our job. We identify with how well we perform in all sorts of different aspects of our lives. God is far more concerned about who we are becoming in Him. One of the biggest questions we can ask ourselves over and over again is, why is this happening to me? Why did this happen? Why do I have this problem in my life? The answer is always the same as a follower of Jesus, and that is to make us more like him. If God is going to make us like Jesus Christ, then he has to take us through what Jesus has went through. Right? So if you think about Scripture, was there ever a time when Jesus was lonely? Yep. When he was tempted? Yep. Unpopular? Yes. Misunderstood? Yes. Criticized? Absolutely. Was there ever a time when he was uncomfortable? Sure. You know, I have uh, good friends from Alaska that just moved down to Texas maybe three weeks ago. They lost their daughter, their only daughter, and their grandchild in a car accident. I can't even relate to that as a father of an only daughter. But what I know to be true, because God's promises state it, Even in that horrid circumstance, as they respond with Christ at the center of their lives, they will become more like Jesus as they come through that circumstance. I don't know how that works, but that's what God does. He takes those terrible, tragic things and makes us more like him. There is no problem that you can't grow from if you respond with Christ at the center. Each of us are shaped for service. The fourth purpose that God created us for is that we were shaped for service. He made us to serve him and to serve each other, and that's called ministry. Ephesians 2.10, the Bible says, God has made us what we are. In Christ Jesus, God made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. Every follower of Jesus Christ is created to serve. 
We've been called to ministry. We've been created for ministry. We've been saved for ministry. And we have been equipped and gifted for ministry. Ministry is any time you use your abilities that God has given you to help someone else in the name of Jesus Christ. And God has uniquely wired each of us for that purpose. The Dead Sea, lowest point in the earth. I didn't know that until I was researching this. You know why the Dead Sea is dead? The Dead Sea, Dead sea is dead because all the rainwater, all the groundwater, all those things run into the Dead Sea. Nothing flows out of the Dead Sea. And so what happens over time is all of the minerals and all those things have, as water is evaporated, the mineral content is increased in that water. Same for us as followers of Jesus Christ. If we simply sit and take and take and take and take and not give, not let that flow through us to others as we serve, we start feeling like, you know, kind of dead in our faith. What's the point? We're stewards of everything God gave us, and you, every one of you, and me, have been shaped for service. God gave you your abilities to serve, not just for your benefit, but to bless others. We weren't put on this earth just to take up space and breathe and die. You were put on this earth to make a ministry to make a difference, and that's called ministry. The fifth purpose that I'm going to mention is you are made for mission. Jesus said in John 17, 18, Father, in the same way you give me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. Every follower needs a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. You need both. Paul was extremely passionate about this particular purpose, and he said in Acts 20, 24, However I consider my life worth nothing to me, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Call that evangelism, right? That's the fifth purpose that I wanted to talk about that God has for every one of us. Especially, you know, evangelism, everybody will kind of walk, oh, I can't do that. I don't have that gift. That's the Holy Spirit's work to do in other people. Your job is simply to share the goodness of God in your life. Okay. And so, uh, though the big idea has already been sprung, really those five things really belong under the big idea. And that is our purpose on this earth as followers of Jesus Christ living the dash is, as 1 Corinthians 10 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So what's the product of living out our life and and our God-given purpose? I can guarantee you that your life and my life will be changed as I interact what God does through me. But the other thing is people's lives around me 
will be changed as a result of God working in and through me. I want to give you an example of three people um, that I would say have done that in my life. So uh, the, the gal right up here, her name is Robin Nadine. Uh, we were friends in sixth grade, 1972. Uh, beyond sixth grade, you know, uh, we went to the same schools and all that sort of stuff. We didn't really interact a whole lot. But one of the things about Robin was really, uh, she was unbelievably comfortable with her faith, even as a sixth grader. And it wasn't just church talk and God talk kind of stuff. It was integrated into everything she did in a very normal way. I mean, I'd never seen anything like that before. And it never changed the whole time I knew of her in high school. Very consistent. The couple uh, below, what's really interesting, I was just out on Facebook early this morning. It's their 52nd anniversary today. So the guy on the left there, his name is John Mitz and his wife, Sandy. John was my seventh grade art teacher, okay? Now, what's really interesting is, um, anybody know what a hack is? Yeah, yeah? A hack happens with a paddle, at least in John's case, about this long. And it was about that wide, and it had holes in it about that big, so that there was no air cushion when he swung it across your behind. So when you were acting up, and in my case, the chances are I was probably talking when I wasn't supposed to in class. Now, John and I were already buddies at this point, I thought. (laughs) So John takes me out, and he hacked me. And I'm telling you, John did not hold back on the hack. But I respected him because even though he and I had a friendship, I respected him because it didn't matter. This was the rule, I'm going to treat you the same as everybody else. So that got my attention with John. We actually had a similar passion of aviation and those sorts of things. And to this day, um, that couple is one of the first that I go to visit when I go down to Oregon. Our relationship is still that strong. But again, in their case, the second case where I saw where God was so integrated in every aspect of how they lived their lives... I would say that those two people, uh, obviously with the Holy Spirit doing work in me, are responsible for standing here before you today. And you know what? They had no idea they were having that kind of impact on me. They were just living their lives, wrestling with the same distractions we have day in and day out, and they changed lives, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Every one of us have that same ability and impact in people around us unless we miss the dash and jump straight to whatever the task is that we have, okay? Well, this isn't going to work out like I thought since none of these things are jumping in one at a time, so I'll just throw it all out at one time. I want to circle back to the questions I asked at the beginning of this. And what I'd like you to do, if you would take, not right now, over the next couple weeks... Take a little time, and I would ask or I would challenge you to write three personal statements. And here they are. The first one is your purpose. I'm, these are the ones I wrote. Obviously, I get to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy teaching, so I get the head start, right? 
Um, but I want to just give you an example. I wrote my purpose and my legacy, and then I added a third one, and that is what is my inheritance? So in case you can't read it, I'll, I'll read it. So I say my purpose today is to be a person who reflects the compelling love and hope found in Jesus to those I come in contact with. The responsibilities I have in my family, work, ministry, and community are simply the context in which that happens. My legacy on earth will be memorialized by my investment in the lives of others, not by what I've accomplished or accumulated. And finally, my inheritance for eternity is established by a promise from my creator due to his grace, mercy, and love for me. My only part in it is to believe in and to follow Jesus as my savior daily instead of relying on my own performance and sufficiency. Now, those may sound okay written. I'm telling you, I, I have it taped, and I have to move it around on my mirror because after a while I get used to seeing it in one spot, and I don't even read it in the morning. So I have to pick it up and move it every once in a while. I try to remind myself of those things daily before I head out the door. I'm not really good at that yet. You know, like I said, God just really showed me that whole issue of, of the dash, whatever you want to call that for yourself. But that's what I'm trying to get to. And I think uh, the, the value of writing those for yourselves, that's in your words, you're going to own those, those principles and try to live them out and apply them and ask God to help you with that. You know, I think the Apostle Paul was one of the best at living the dash out of everything you see in Scripture. That guy was passionate. He did a lot, but he knew his purpose without a doubt. And, uh, you know, I was just really drawn to Ephesians 3, and I'm going to close out on Ephesians 3. We've actually heard the last part of this quite often. Um, I, I didn't go there because of that. That's just kind of where I was led, and uh, that's how we're going to finish up this morning. So let me read Ephesians 3 to you. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... He's talking to us. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past has kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that, we, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. 
I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God, love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Holy Father, I just thank you for your word today, and I, I ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit working in every one of us, Lord, that, that your word, uh, that we'd not just be hearers of that word, but as, as scripture says, Lord, that we be doers of your word. And so, Father, may each of us, as you bring to mind uh, the areas that you want to continue to work within us, Father, may we be courageous and willing to follow you as you lead us the way that you would have us go. Father, I just pray for the safety through this weekend for everybody here as they go out and enjoy their families. And I thank you so much for the sacrifices of literally hundreds of thousands of men and women that have went before us to protect our freedom so that we may gather such as this today. And may that be on the forefront as we go through the rest of our weekend today. Father, we just thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.